system. I find you in the shows and moving a great and being enough. The scientist comes everywhere you go. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast Corner Design System Office Hours with David Funk and PJ Onori. And I have to say that this is my absolute favorite design systems podcast. And um, I actually remember the day when you published it because it was last year, just a few days before my birthday. And what I adore about your podcast is that it's very down to earth. Two experienced guys uh, having an open and honest conversation about a lot of design re- design systems related stuff. And it's really cool because you don't always agree. And that's why you share a lot of really cool perspectives about design systems. And before we continue um, and jump into today's fun, I would like to emphasize that this is not a typical talk but it's more like an interactive podcast party. And luckily, all of you are our guests. So we would like to invite you that you post a lot of questions on Myra, whatever you want to know about design systems career. We will hopefully have enough time to answer it. Um, But if we don't, it's probably because PJ and Davey already had two episodes on design systems career. And I hope that you already listened to the to these two episodes. If you don't, please go back to the official podcast uh, website and listen to it. Um, are you ready, PJ and Davey? How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, we are great. We're having a lot of design systems fun here. So um, I think that Davey is frozen. Oh, I'm, no. I'm just not oh, moving. Okay. Yeah, PJ, PJ, you sound great. So that's our yeah. Right before we got started, PJ asked like, "Oh, is there a um, is there a mic check?" Because usually we uh, before we hit record on our 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 podcast, we usually sometimes stumble on recording and the microphones, and I have to make PJ uh, unplug, replug, spin around a few times, you know, that sort of thing, and then we we get going. No, today is Friday and everything's going to be okay, you know, so we just wanted to go live and <laughs> have the fun. Love, um, it, love it. But you know how they say you f- you think you're ready also with design systems, but then when you start, you never know if you make the right turn or the wrong one. Okay, so today is a bit, uh, it's a bit different setup than you're used to. Um, because I will ask you a bunch of questions. Hopefully our um, guests have a lot of uh, really interesting ones, but let's start in the beginning. So I would like to hear your story, um, how you started with design systems and what sparked your interest? Why did you want to work with design systems? Dave, you want to, you want to kick it off, man? Yeah, I'll kick it off. Like many, many, many moons ago, I had started, uh, I think like a lot of folks in, in our industry that are like approximately our age, we won't divulge our age, but, uh, we started off as print designers. And, um, I think in, in that case, uh, we got really into things like, uh, 
mention a few programs that maybe none of y'all may know, like Quark and InDesign and working in, in style guides. And I think that was the tip of the iceberg for how we had uh, started a, a lot of us. So I, I believe a lot of my background goes back to uh, having a foundation in uh, typography, hierarchy, and all those uh, good graphic design principles uh, and, and color as well. So it really went back to that. I would say, I think a few people have asked me in terms of like day-to-day work, when was the first instance and what might be the first component? And big surprise, big surprise. It was, it was a button component. It was a button component uh, for Goodreads. And the reason why we chose that was that it had uh, multiple primitives involved. It had a color typography. Those are the two, two main ones that we were targeting. And I, I think the, the biggest takeaway from that and starting from there was that we found all these different instances of this, uh, component in, in code or non-component, all these different colors that were slightly tuned. And I feel like that, that must've been, Oh shoot. That was over eight years ago, uh, quite a long time ago. I think that was like the first bit of discovering how to work in the system, uh, how to use SAS, how to use variables and how to define things in, in a different fashion. So it goes back uh, quite a bit for me. Uh, what about you, PJ? Yeah. Uh, so I have a bit of a promiscuous background. I've been an engineer. I've been a designer. I've been a product manager. And uh, design systems were the one area where you kind of get to do everything uh, if you want to. The first design system I worked on was like 2011 at General Electric, of all places, which is weird. But it became really... <laughs> I wouldn't expect General Electric, of all the places. But, uh, but the thing that was so cool about it. It's just, it became really clear early on, just the breadth of coverage that you'd be able to take on theoretically or touching everything. Um, and just the sheer complexity that that brings was kind of addictive. And I, I like the scale of the challenges. I like how gnarly, uh, the problems are, and that's just what's kept me in the, uh, in the space. Yeah, and you could be one day a developer, one day a designer, and understand both of them. David, you mentioned in one episode uh, that you scaled from one person, design systems team, to nine. So who was the first, the first one that you actually brought in your design system team? Or how can we choose our first person? What's the most important thing when you're starting out? Yeah, I think fairly common the team grows internally. So the team grows by, uh, I would say, Voltroning uh, a bunch of different team members, or uh, as I say, like what we, what we tried to do was form a team of uh, Avengers from all these different uh, teams that we had at Disney streaming. So there was a, there was a point where it was primarily myself and then two other, at that point they were called production designers, but realistically they were maintainers, product designers. Uh, we went from one to three and then as the team grew to support uh, an app called Hulu uh, here in America, that was primarily internal. Uh, the first specific hire that that I had gotten, I, I had two uh, different hires that I was able to do uh, within the team. And then one, I, I like to tell PJ because I'm very proud of that one. Actually, both of them. Uh, one of them was a design technologist. So boom, thumbs up. Uh, shout out to all our design technologists out there. And then the second one was a uh, program manager. So, uh, I think program manager, project manager, that name, I think sometimes get conflated, but it was the person that was able to help us, uh, steer, steer the ship and 
really, I would almost say from, from the Disney point of view, it seemed like they were almost like an operator tying everything together, making sure we had all the right information to go as wide as we, we can. So the design technologies probably because you wanted to get a buy-in. So they were actually the most appropriate to show all the cool stuff. Yeah. That, and like, um, the thing that I was trying to, uh, really, uh, get everyone excited about was like, I, I felt like the, from a react point of view, I felt like we were uh, getting to a, a mature place, how we integrated, uh, what we did in code at Disney streaming into uh, the design tooling was a little fuzzy. So the, the prompt was really try to find the edges of where Figma could go and like push the boundaries because there's, there's a lot out there. And I think as the further and further we talk about it, um, I think PJ has gone to the, to the depths as well, but we wanted a way to understand how, how far we could go with just this, this lean team with a design technologist, how much further can we, can we go? What about you, PJ? How big is your team currently at Pinterest? Uh, about 11 at this point, they don't, you know, they're, it's spread across engineering and design. So, uh, so it's not all, it's not all on the design side. And I'm, I'm clearly not adept at hiring engineers. Uh, someone much more qualified is doing that. But uh, I, I hired uh, quite a few design technologists, actually. Um, two of them and one is a contractor. And, uh, and then three designers. Uh, the big emphasis for the design technologists was just flexibility. Especially mm-hmm. when you're small, you ain't got the folks to focus on stuff. You need, you need people that can, that can wear many hats and take on the thing that needs to happen. Um, and that's, what's great about design technologists. And that's what continues to be great on our team is they tend to be taking on things that don't really fit into a bucket, but are still really important. And then, and then from the design side, the thing I really started to focus in on are, uh, less about, do you know, Figma, can you design a component? Um, uh, but more, how do you work with the team? Are you a systems thinker? Uh, which is something we oftentimes don't ask in design interviews, which is funny. Um, and just how, how do you engage with, uh, with your, with your peers and, uh, with your, with your engineering partners. And those are the folks that I've been, that kind of skill set. people that are really adept with those kind of skills are the folks that I've been trying to bring onto the team. So would you say that even if our budget is really low, that design technologies is the most appropriate person to join in the start or as the first hire? I am unbelievably biased, but yes, because I was one for a long time. So, so it may just be my, my bias kicking in, but I would say yes. Uh, especially if you want to kick into code as quickly as possible, they're going to be a, a good fit is typically you're not taking on the, the gnarliest components at first as well. So you don't need a, a rocket scientist. Um, you need someone that can understand how, how design and engineering fits together and execute and, and design technologists are great at that. Not that, not that all design technologists are not rocket scientists. There may be some that are, uh, no dig on, on us, but, but it's that broad skill set that's really valuable early on. Yeah. They can still share their foundations in Adobe InDesign, just that you know that they are aware of that, because I think that a lot of times we focus on this fancy portfolio presentations, but when you dig in, you can see that there is no foundations for them. Okay, but you mentioned that a lot of times you don't even ask about Figma and what's the portfolio in brackets uh, for design systems managers, because we are always searching for people that are organized, that know both worlds, you know, development and design. 
but we somehow are not able or there's no recipe how to find them, you know? So what would you say uh, that it's really important when you want to hire them? How can you um, see if they are capable of managing your design system? Take that off, baby. Yeah, this is great because I know this is where we diverge. And this is why I think the the, the 1,100,000 fans that we have and the 300 in attendance right now uh, love us. But uh, I think we do have an issue. Like I'll speak specifically uh, at Meta. Uh, we hire specifically product design generalists. And, uh, and when we interview in many different facets of the company. So uh, if we interview someone that maybe placed on a AR team, or if we place someone on a enterprise team, there are very general questions and frameworks that we use to interview those people. And then we slot them in. So obviously if it's something like AR, it might lean towards that a bit. Uh, if it's something like design systems, we would, you'd assume, right. Uh, but the makeup of our team is design system generalists um, or design product design generalists with the uh, slant of systems thinking. So that's sort of like the, the key thing where you ask the question about Figma or let's say Figma sketch XD, let's just be agnostic about it. There, there are a lot of assumptions that people know and people are, are willing to learn, but I think that's a really dangerous assumption, especially if in these times where we're lean, uh, we may not have much time to do training. I think that there is a baseline for um, tools expertise. Obviously, some of it is learned and you could adapt. Like if you were uh, utilizing one tool and you had to learn a different tool, that's fine. The, the principles still stay intact. But I think understanding principles of how to compose things, how to build components. If you know it in one tool, it's fine and we'll accept that you'll learn the other one. But I think there's a lot of assumptions there that uh, if we don't ask tool-specific tool questions, I think it really uh, it, it could uh, put us in a, a bad position as a, a hiring manager. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be the, uh, I'll be the opposite take on this. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, I never ask, I don't care. What I do ask is, uh, what I try to uncover is the willingness to learn. You can pick it up. Uh, we've had, we had an apprentice join our team. She's been amazing. Um, and, and it's because of her willingness to learn. And so that's where I'm focusing in on the thing that I'm asking very specifically, uh, is I'm trying to uncover their point of view about systems. What, you know, what are their principles that they use to drive decision-making? How do they formulate roles and models around, um, how to develop patterns and how to um, how to take a bunch of disparate information and distill it down into a cogent point of view, the willingness to develop a point of view, as opposed to like, Oh, we'll just support everything, uh, which is not possible. Those are the things that I'm interested in because I think those will allow someone to thrive and succeed within a, uh, within a, within a systems environment. The other thing that I try to look for is someone that is, trying to understand how all the pieces fit together. Funny enough, one thing I typically see folks, especially early in their career, it's like they're looking into the sun uh, with their bare eyes. There's just too much information and they typically can be a little overwhelmed. And like they're, when they talk, they're kind of jumping subjects because they're trying to connect the dots. That can oftentimes be a sign that they are actively trying to put all the pieces together. And that is a great skill. That's the, that's the mojo that you want to find because that's going to be the, um, the, 
the type of thinking, the type of problem solving that's going to lead them to those, those scalable systemic, uh, decisions. So less about Figma, you know, it's, it's pros and cons to each of our, our approaches, but that's typically how I focus. Yeah. Maybe they're already wearing Apple vision pro, you know, and they cannot see, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, does your, in your view, ability to listen, um, and also compromise, uh, outweigh technical skills. I think it's both. Uh, it's funny cause I was, I was thinking about this question and I'm like <laughs> listening without an execution is therapy. Uh, and we need, we need to be able to listen. Right. But we also need to understand what the hell that means so we can act upon it and develop a solution. And so if you have just an executor, you have no idea if you're actually solving the actual problem, you're just doing stuff. If you have someone that's just understanding it, you may understand the why, but like, okay, great. Now what do we do? Uh, it's really that balance between the two. And sometimes you can find one person that's a little good at both, or you can staff a team with a bunch of why folks and then a bunch of how folks and you split up the work that can be problematic because that can create seams in, in the transition. But typically, uh, what I'm looking for is someone that can talk to people, understand their problems, synthesize it out into an actual actionable piece of work and then execute on that. I think a big thing that you had talked to me about, like when, when we first met and even before we started podcasting was like the importance of writing. And it's the, it's the whole, uh, articulating design decisions. Like it's so important. They made a book about it, right. Uh, being able to articulate yourself, uh, being able to understand what the, what the business outcome is, what the design or engineering outcome or deliverables are, and then how to get from point A to point B. So like the, the tools thing is a good one because that's a, that's a piece of it, but then understanding, for instance, whom, whom the customer is for each, each deliverable. So like understanding, uh, the designer has a specific set of artifacts that they're uh, used to, used to using and accessing, whether that's the component libraries, the documentation engineering also interfaces with those, but maybe they have a different slant or they have a different way of accessing information. Maybe, uh, the pieces of their doc site that they access is more specific to peer implementation and, uh, component props and, and that sort of thing. So really understanding how in your organization, each, each of the partners engages and what they, what they need, I think is very important because it's, uh, even from where, where I am versus where PJ is versus where we were together at Disney streaming, we used to, uh, sit next to each other there. It's, it's different. The organizational needs are different and the ways of working are vastly completely different from, from each other. So it's really trying to learn from what you can, when you, when you get there and it's like not don't build shit. You don't need simple as that. Right. I mean, if a company has two bodies like you two, I think that uh, they cannot be afraid of anything. So, um, yeah, I think that the importance of education is very much neglected. You know, when you're starting out and hiring someone, people just assume, yeah, even if they already did a design system that they are completely capable of doing another one, but actually there are a lot of different stuff, a lot of different tools. So does your, in your opinion, the tools can break on or make the design system. So whatever you choose to do in the start, that this can also, um, yeah, make it or break it. And it's also how you wield those tools. I think sketch is fine. I think you can do fine 
with sketch. Uh, I think you can do fine with, uh, if you want to use angular as a web platform, I've not heard the best of things about it, but I'm assuming you can still develop something that's very, <laughs> get myself in trouble here. You can develop something that's very effective. Um, uh, oh man, I'm getting, I'm getting grilled in the comments. Uh, but, but I think it's understanding the tools and then, but also understanding that a tool is meant to be used at the end of the day, it's the thinking behind how we wield them and how we utilize them in our day-to-day work, which is going to, which is going to make, it's just going to make or break how the system works. And before I dig myself in a deeper hole, I'm just going to pass it over to Davey. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the, I think we've all been uh, around long enough to understand that, that there's waves of changes with tools, typically, you know, the five, five to seven, eight years, ironically speaking, like whether we know it or not, Figma has been around for five years. Uh, Figma and Sketch came up at, at the exact same time. I think most of us may not have known about it back then, but we've evolved. Right? Someone said Corel Draw. I didn't get to use Corel Draw. I use Flash. I use a bunch of Adobe related tools. Too, but then, yeah. <laughs> um, like most of us, we we adapted and then we learned a new tool as part of the job. I mean, at the end of the day, I am getting paid to learn <laughs> and and perform the duty. So, like, I can't really complain about that part. Um, taking my own time. I think that's, that's a little bit difficult. And I think there's, um, one, one piece, uh, that, uh, Masato had, uh, Masato, uh, from design system.careers had talked to us about in, in our last podcast is the passion. So I would equate this passion, but then also willingness to learn. Like if you're interviewing for instance, and you find like, I, I've seen some, there's, there's a wide array of design questions that I've been asked. Some had asked us, uh, like some had asked me like, who's my uh, design idol. I, I thought that was a little bit of a funny question because I don't have any specific designer that I'm tied to, but it might be good to understand from like a, a passion or a learning perspective. What's something that you've learned that, that has helped your day to day, like whether that's design related or not, just to really understand the the notion for learning. Like we talk about building fences a lot, PJ and I, like we've learned how to use, use our hands and touch, touch grass outside. So that's, that's a good one. Yeah, so you want to say that PJ is not your hero. <laughs> um, it better not be anyone's hero. <laughs> okay. So I will uh, give the word to our guests on Myra. And here's a really cool question that's kind of connected with the things that we're uh, discussing right now. How do you go about increasing the scope or ownership of your work as a design system IC? So designer, engineer, designer, engineer over time. Uh, Boy, there's various ways you can do that. Uh, Some will give you ulcers and some will not. Um, I can, I can say how we did it uh, early on for, for Gestalt, just to try to get our foot in the door. I don't recommend this over the long term, but what we ended up doing was being very liberal in terms of how we said yes. So we would take on a lot of things to try to build up those um, relationships and build up a portfolio of, of outcomes that we could show to leadership uh, about how Gestalt had supported uh, in product needs that led to, you know, understandably. So a lot of ad hoc weeks, you know, a lot of things that would just come up and we'd have to take on those things. Uh, but, but it did build up a, a, a Rolodex, if you will, of relationships within the company where folks started to understand that this wasn't just some abstract idea, but it could actually lead to better product outcomes. We've, we've begun to whittle that down and, and take a more focused approach. Um, but I don't know if we would have gotten 
to where we are if we hadn't said yes to a lot of things early on. Yeah, because I mean, if we check the environment of design systems a few years ago, we didn't have design tokens or token studio tools, you know, but um, the tech industry is evolving all the time, especially in the last few months, I feel because of the AI. So you have to be ready to learn a lot of new stuff all the time and connected with this. Um, question is also, do you think, are we creating new silos by, by gatekeeping contribution to a design system-based uh, roles? Take that on, Davey. Yeah, there's a greater discussion I think we're going to have on the podcast about, uh, we call them, at Meta, we call them product systems or subsystems, local systems. I think Spotify called them as part of Encore. I think it's very tough. I, I think we do try to make our best effort and put our best foot forward and attempting to get designers and engineers on product teams to contribute. I, I think at a, at a certain scale, it becomes very difficult, like at our, our scale. And I, I, it's more of a, not, it's not difficult to get folks to be interested in contributing. I think it's uh, difficult to get folks to follow through and maintain and maintain something over time. I think the one of the big nuances of design systems in general is that uh, for better or for worse, we're stuck. We're stuck with the thing, right? It's like uh, I, we're parents. So we understand how, how children are like, you know, children are ours, you know, and we're, we're caretakers of children, much like design systems or caretakers of these design systems. And any decision that we make on, you know, year one, we're going to, have to address this in years two, years three. And it's our job to continually tune these things. And we would like the product designers that want to contribute to think of things in, in that same fashion, have that ownership for the feature area. But it's very difficult, um, especially in given the case, like in larger companies like ours, where designers could come in and out of different feature areas. I think this is comes down to people. If, if folks want to silo, and push people out. There ain't no technology or process or structure that's going to avoid that. It, it comes down to whether folks are willing to try to be as connected to the product and engineering teams as possible and support their needs uh, or not. Um, similar to collaboration. We have all these collaboration tools, right? Like we have all these things and like it comes down to people wanting to work together at the end of the day and, and holding people accountable to, to doing that. So I don't know. It's, it's a tough thing. Is it a silo? Yeah, it absolutely is a silo, but like, it doesn't have to feel like a silo is what I'm saying. It can, it can be a compartmentalized area of institutionalized knowledge that works for design and engineering, or it can just be a flat out silo that crushes people's souls on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think that comes down to how, how it's executed and how people interact with their peers. Yeah. It's just like with kids, you know, if they don't trust you, they will do everything just to get you upset. So if your team, I mean, the whole organization can trust you, they will know that you will provide good solutions, even if you made a few mistakes on your way and connected with that, uh, Diego asked us, do you have a collaboration process in place? Can you sum summarize it? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to uh, share it. It's uh, collaboration with design with our, our customers yeah, within or your within team. the team? No, oh, within, within the team? team yeah. yeah, it's really complicated. Let's friggin' work together. Uh, it really is that simple. It's it's we bring on people that want to work together and then it naturally happens. So so we have uh, we have designers and engineers that are working directly 
every day. Engineers are in our design crits. Uh, we are uh, in engineering conversations. Um, we put an emphasis that we are we are a Gestalt team member first, and then we're a designer or an engineer or whatever second. But first and foremost, we are a part of a team, and we're here to support the team. And that's just that's that's kind of carried us a long way. Just having the right mindset with everyone on the team. Yeah, I'll take a different slide at it. I think Diego might have mentioned uh, advocate. So. I think the, as a design system team of one or 10 or however, uh, uh, big of a budget or not a budget you have, the advocates portion is very important. It's something that we, you want to grab designers that are, are invested long-term into this thing. So six, six months, nine months, the, the more, the longer you can, the, the deeper that you could go in there. And, uh, one mechanism that's worked at, at Disney streaming and at meta is if we could try to get ahead and be more proactive about the, the engagement. So if we are joining on something like a discovery sprint and helping them understand how the system could help them, I think we could get a lot of buy-in from them utilizing us and coming back as a repeat customers. Uh, I think the, the optics of design systems is very tough because I think we say no a lot. Uh, we say no. Sometimes we say no because of this thing that they may not understand. But if we say no, but let's let's just jam on it together. And a very successful mechanism for us was having an open open office hours where we just live design together. So I, I still maintain that that's the best method. I think it's very difficult at our scale now. Uh, at times, I'm asked not to do uh, too many of these because I I think there, there's this limited budget. To, to support this, but I would love to discontinue to bucket time on a biweekly basis to do live design with partners all across Meta. So by live design, you mean that you actually have an idea, then you just try things out and experiment. Yeah. The, uh, this open, open up, open up Figma and really just start, start from scratch, mm -hmm. see, see where they're at, uh, open up their uh, product doc. And uh, there's, there's a lot of conversations right now about uh, return to office and collaborating in person and uh, gaps that we may have with uh, being remote. I, I don't, I think it's, it's a bit bogus uh, in my, in my opinion. I think uh, especially given we're doing this live conference, you all are in central Europe. I think this is the best time right now that we're living in a space where there's no lag. I could see everybody's facial expression. I could see <laughs> people uh, in Miro going, going nuts. I, it's really easy to schedule time with designers on a, 15 minute basis just to dive in. It's not, it's not that difficult. Yeah. The only thing is that we will not uh, drink champagne after the, this talk. <laughs> um, but yeah, Leonora, Lenora posted, um, I mean, it's a cool point that learning, um, to store learning of storytelling can be quite effective skill because you can also convince uh, stakeholders and other people, um, and she is asking if you have any recommendations how to practice that, because you are good at sto storytelling. You know. Wow, uh, I, that's <laughs> such kind words. Um, so, one thing I think knowing your audience is really helpful. Like, what's their love language? If I'm talking to engineers, I am like elbow deep in spreadsheets and really data dense. So, understand what, you know, what are they looking for and what's going to, what's going to be their love language and what's going to resonate with them. And then, you know, it's not about you. It's about, it's about 
their ears and, and, and what's going to sit with them. So that's a big part of it. And then, but I do think irregardless of how you deliver it, I, I'm a big believer in having evidence drive this, what the message that you're telling, it's not about you. It's not about your opinion. It's not about what you want. It's about where the evidence and what the customer base needs. And, and that can tend to diffuse it because it's not me versus you. It's us and this evidence and let's talk about it. And so it tends to be how I like to go about it. It's just not have it be about me or the design systems team at all. What's your stand, Davey? <laughs> Do you have any recommendations? I got lost <laughs> in the mirror. I think the, the storytelling thing, I think comes up for us in very much writing. So like the, there's a big culture at Meta about writing and articulating the work. So really trying to frame yourself either in like the presentation mode in, in a Google slide where a Google slide or framework prototype, however you decide in a, in a cogent fashion that is easy to repeat. I, I think the alternate is um, PJ has inspired me to get into more, more writing. So that that's something that we do we do with writing, I would say, I call them medium size posts because we don't use medium internally, but we have like our own platform where we write these things and really trying to summarize what, what you're working on, maybe put a different, uh, unique spin that's a little bit entertaining, but then really trying to understand that there's a skill also about articulating yourself and being as um, cogent and concise as possible too. So that's something that I've been trying to uh, continually uh, curate over the past year here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, writing clears our mind, so we should practice more. And then based on that, we will also, it will be much easier actually to share our goals with all the people that are involved. And the next question is from Tiffany. She um, actually wants to start working in design systems, but um, she's saying that it's hard to find design systems role. And do you recommend going for general product designer roles and then transitioning into design systems work internally? Absolutely. I think that's absolutely the way to go because typically I can't speak for every design systems team, but many are underwater. They need the help. They're dying for headcount, but don't have it. And if someone's coming there and saying, Hey, can I help you? They are going to give you a big old hug and give you a bunch of stuff to potentially work on. And that can be a nice lead in to eventually transferring over to the design systems team. So yeah, that would be, uh, that would be my recommendation given how dumb it is. It, it's frustrating how hard it is to get in design systems at this point. Um, so that would be the end around. Yeah, a lot of times, um, I mean, at least from my point of view, uh, stakeholders don't even know what's missing, you know, and they want to scale and be faster, but they're like, oh my God, design system, what's that? You know, so many tools, we cannot decide. So if someone, especially curious and eager to learn more new stuff, and it's always on time, um, it's much easier than to make this step, you know, and to believe them um, and they trust internal designers more than just somebody selling, you know, all this weird stuff that they don't understand. Do you see content strategists also being involved in design systems? Um, does your in, does um, content, do you see content as something that's really necessary, especially in all the new design systems and with all the automation going on and chat GPT, you know, when they just generate some, I don't know, very general guidelines. 
that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough one. That's so I think at Meta we had uh, quite a bit of content strategists as as a part of our our teams, but then as uh, an effort to get leaner, some of them had gotten gotten let go, and, and we're, we're seeing the the gaps right now with them not being around. So I think uh, especially given the fact that we're so heavily reliant uh, to set up structured data for for the future, I think we do need help with uh, figuring out how to write things and how to document properly in a repeatable fashion. I think this might be the case where there's there's this, uh, I, I, we haven't talked about it on, on this call, but I think as budgets are being cut on teams and there's this conversation about getting into the space, but roles not being available. I think if you start as a generalist, you could wiggle your way into something like accessibility or content design or whatever facet, and then make that role your own. Um, specifically with content strategy, I think we're going to be ending up uh, relying on, uh, we call them contingent workers, but contractors to, to help, help fill that gap. And I would say, if you do have budget, it's one of those things like, uh, in this, in this perfect scenario of a design system team, if I had all the money in the world, right. I would have uh, design technologists. I'd have front end engineers, uh, a content strategist, a program manager, uh, a design manager, and uh, a shit ton of like my, my friends designing with us. And one robot. What, <laughs> what, and one small robot that I could fit in like, yeah, that would uh, do all your automations. From your perspective, what are some um, unconventional skills or qualities that are beneficial for all those that are currently seeking design systems careers? I think the funniest friggin' thing is that it's, well, yeah, patience, Ian, is a great one, but also systems thinking. <laughs> I remember someone, <laughs> we, were in a, we were in a meeting and someone said, what do you think is the most important skill for a, a systems designer? I'm like a systems thinking, like it's kind of, it's kind of important, but we don't know how to interview for it. And so it oftentimes gets passed through, uh, which is hilarious um, because it, it just goes to show how divergent this kind of work is from your typical day-to-day -day product design at times. I think it's that and communication skills. Yeah, definitely. Those are probably patients as was mentioned uh, systems thinking funny enough. And then, and then communication. There's like the whole road showing thing, right? So like every, everyone, I, there's a, there's been a few talks, like I think even Spotify talked about like road showing, we all have to road show. And the, the unfortunate thing is even two to three years in, in our systems, right? PJ, we still have to continue to sell the thing and it becomes a, a time consuming thing. But we, I think each, each time we have to do it every six months, we have to sell the, the idea of the specific OKR or the specific thing that we're doing, it becomes easier and easier. So the whole idea of even, even for, for this and the, the podcast itself, I think it's been a, a good mechanism for myself to understand how to articulate design system stories or design systems problems, which then in turn helps me on my, my day to day. So I think from a, a calm standpoint, I think I've gotten a lot better with communicating outwardly to, to our teams. Uh, but it's, it's always something that we're going to continue to, to focus on and really understanding, I think what piece of, uh, what method of communication works best in your org. Like it's, that's still something that I'm trying to figure out whether it's video like this or whether it's uh, a post or whether it's uh, uh Instagram reel. I don't know. It, it could be anything, right? 
Do you set up OKRs uh, inside your team or is it together with all the other product teams? We, we have our own OKRs. We have KPIs, OKRs, all the, all the acronyms you could ever ask for. <laughs> um, sometimes it's, it's a little silly at some point. Um, but it hel- it's helpful because it goes back, you know, going back a few questions, it can objective and key result, Aaron, um, just, we're going to do this with this, you know, we're in, we're expecting this kind of outcome, typically numbers. Um, mm. the, the, the value of that is it goes back to being able to articulate the why and, and if we're not going to work something, work on something, Hey, it's not because, you know, it's a bad idea. It's, these are our goals for this half. This is what we're focusing in on. This is what we're leaning towards making that as visible as early on as possible so that it doesn't come as a surprise. And it go again, it goes like, these are our goals. And this is the reasoning why we're, we're making this decision as opposed to just, we don't feel like working on this thing. So it does help to create a, a shared universe of understanding to diffuse a lot of, which can be, you know, potentially spicy conversations. That's a good one. I think yeah, we have our own internal uh, team OKRs uh, that we share between. We have a, I think similar to PJ, we have a team of, I think it's eight, eight designers, nine engineers. So it's almost a one-to-one ratio, which is uh, amazing, but it's uh, uh, shared OKRs between design and engineering for our team. And then what we try to do is align upwards to the next level up. So like we are within the monetization org, while we may not tie ourselves uh, to their specific OKRs because it's uh, extremely risky, we tie ourselves to their principles and their values. So we're, it's all interconnected. Then that's interconnected with uh, meta-wide uh, principles and values as well. Nice. Um, and how do you see? I mean, what emerging trends or potential developments do you see in the near future? We talked a lot about AI today, um, but I would like to hear your opinion, especially from the design processes that you that you already have. What could change in the next few months or one year? Go ahead, David. There's like the there's discussion about drivers, right? Like drivers of these AI tools, like, uh, Felix from ADP list, I think posted something on LinkedIn about just the variety of AI tools. It's, it's very akin to say like last, last year, this year we're talking about AI last year, we're talking about web three and in web three, there's very specific apps that do very nuanced things. So in order to do, um, one thing that a web one or web two app may do, you need five, Web3 apps, for instance. And I think that's similar right now in the AI space. So you need people that are familiar with how how to drive it. Uh, Chris, uh, from the previous talk, uh, had mentioned in in a podcast uh, just about structured data. Like, how can you structure your data and how can you uh, format this in a way that AI can read it? So having an understanding of how those tools work and how to uh, get it to output the best information, even like with prompts, right? Like how to prompt the AI to do a specific thing. Like we're all talking about this sort of thing, but we do need drivers and people that understand how to utilize the tool. I don't think it's going to, it's a scary thing because it's going to probably eliminate certain roles. That's, I think that's the the scary part, but that may allow us to focus a little more broadly. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a tough one. Why don't you share yeah, some light? I, we're, uh, we are toying around with AI I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be interesting, but I think it's going to be messy. So it'll be interesting to see where we land on that. But 
the, I think the, the main trend that I see, and I could be, God knows I'm wrong all the time, but if this economy continues to, to stumble for a while, um, I do think that design systems are going to start to click more in terms of, uh, if we have sustained headcount stress, there's going to, at some point, people are going to say, we got to figure out a way to work more effectively because we're still not able to hire. And I, 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 it just, from a logical standpoint, it seems like that is going to give design systems the opportunity to shine and step up in a more assertive central role to product development process. But I think it comes down to how long this economy stays the way it is, how long headcount remains um, hard to come by and how much design systems can step up um, and improve it within companies. Yeah. A lot have happened already in the last six months, I think. So the speed is amazing. I mean, I'm actually quite surprised. Um, like for the last 10 years, not a lot of things happened. I mean, it did, but in a way we could still do the website, I don't know, in Photoshop, it sounds crazy, but you know, developers would still understand it. But now with all these tools and plugins being available, it's the speed is just amazing. Now, um, I want to like, um, closely, um, soon we will have to stop with the conversation, but what would you say that's one insight or piece of knowledge that you wish you had when you started navigating the world of design systems or you wish to share it today with our guests? You want me to do it, Davey, or do you want yeah, to do PJ it? has all the answers. I could go. I don't uh, <laughs> PJ has all the answers. So that's, uh, I'm going into the bucket of PJ answers now. I, uh, there was a, I think a pivot for a lot of us that were designing in the arts where we had decided whether we wanted to be a print designer or at that point it was web design, which is kind of a crazy name to think about now, right? Print designer, web designer, or web developer. And I think at that point when I made a pivot to a web designer, which became an interaction designer, which became a UX designer, and now we don't know a person, right? I, I think there were, I always think back, like, should I have gone the other way and become an engineer and this go, go the other route. So I, I I tell my wife this all the time, like, but still ended up in in a pretty positive place. I think I probably would have attempted to go a different front end route and this be on the other side of, of this equation. So possibly I would be the design technologist that would be working with PJ and still be involved, but just in a different uh, nuance flavor. Probably the thing that that I learned the most, uh, it's impacted me the most, is I'm going to throw some math out here. I swear it's going to make sense. But there's this uh, equation for, uh, it's called a combinatorial explosion. Why the hell am I talking about that? Well, you know, systems are all about interconnections, right? You got a bunch of little pieces and how they fit together. Well, as as the pieces go up linearly, the connections go up exponentially. You can do the math like three pieces have three interconnections, nine have like 36. And like, once you get up in the twenties, it's in hundreds, it just takes off. And that is a system in its very nature. The bigger it gets, the more complicated it it, it takes off, the more complexity it takes off and it takes off in an almost exponential fashion. And so when that clicked, that changed so much of how I thought about everything. Um, not just design work, but just, just life. Um, 
And so I am always the guy in the room like, well, what can we remove? What can we get rid of? Can we get rid of something here? Can we delete that word? Like I'm constantly trying to remove things. And it's because I'm trying to remove complexity from the system because at some point it gets so big, you don't know what the hell's going on. And that's kind of the antithesis of a system. If you don't know how all the pieces fit together and work together, that's just chaos. That's not a system. So that is tapped into like just my day-to-day life. That's just how I work now. And it's because of design systems. And I just wish I could have learned it a little bit earlier. That's such a nice segue. And I think that uh, if we have more Davy and PJ in our day, everyday life, everything will be much easier and exponentially good. So thanks so much for this conversation and for taking the time and for everything that you're doing for this community, for your honest uh, conversations like I mentioned in the start and I'm really looking forward for all the next episodes and um, my personal wishes that you don't stop with recording because this is getting better and better. So really, honestly, thank you so much um, for today's episode and have a nice um, day, not evening like in Europe (laughs) Um, and nice weekend. So, and I hope you will enjoy other talks as well today. Thanks y'all. This was a ton of fun. Thank you for the hosting and Davey, thanks for the chat. Uh, And thanks everyone in the chat. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks. Yeah. Thanks for Sylvia for, for having us as well. Thank you. See ya.